0: The Most Important People in the World With Charles Berman and Jonathan Berman Featuring interviews with people with interesting viewpoints which, if true, could make them the most important people in the world Let's meet one of them now All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. This is the Most Important People in the World podcast. I am, as most of the time, Charles Berman.
1: And I am usually Jonathan Berman.
0: Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we're here with uh, Ed Roman this afternoon or whenever you're listening. Uh, Ed, thank you very much for being with us.
2: Hey, thank you so much, Charles and John. It's a pleasure being on Most Important People.
0: That's right. Well, it's a pleasure having you. Now, Ed, uh, you are both a musician and uh, someone who's had uh, several sort of paranormal and, and possibly alien-related encounters. Uh, is that right? or are, are they possibly connected, or uh, are those t- totally separate areas of your life?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Some may say so, and sometimes I even question it myself. But when you're living in a rural community, as the way I did as a kid, um, there wasn't much around you. You're, you know, the night sky was there for you to look at, the Milky Way. We had cattle. Um, you were continually going out to the barn. But uh, what we saw, that phenomenon, was an orb-like shaped luminous object. And the, the way that it all started was funny. My mom was preparing dinner. And she started to hear the pipes in the house rattling she thought it was something wrong with our sump pump so she got down to the basement and she realized it wasn't on and when she got back to the top of the landing of the stairs which sort of opened up to her this bay window in her kitchen she thought an aircraft like a plane was flying into our house and she even ducked down on the floor and she, then she sort of looked up like because nothing had happened. And then she said to all of us, look out the window. And I was in a high chair at the time, but the, m- what was described cause I don't really remember the incident was like an egg shaped orb. The lights that were around this sort of lower third of this orb were all different colors, but they were kind of amalgaming into each other in a very sort of fluid way. There wasn't like, okay, you could say that light is red, that light is blue. It was all sort of very kinetic, the way it was moving. But it, it was so bright. That you couldn't look at it. It was almost like an arc light when you're looking at, at a welder uh, and, and you sort of you know shield your eyes and you have to look away because the, the light to you already just by looking at it doesn't seem right. And what was odd about it is when you'd look away and you'd, you'd look to the pasture or the area where the trees were near the chicken coop, uh, there was no shadow. That was illuminated like you'd have from an incandescent bulb, like when you'd be walking around or, you know, you'd you'd see somebody's shadow and it would elongate as they'd move away from the light. And so and then after about five minutes of this sort of observing of this, this ball like shape moved up over top of our barn and then almost like it was falling the topography of the land. It was sort of like bouncing like a ball. And it started to move towards the southeast to the little town of Oshawa, which was just southeast of us. And then the the next day, and the day after that, the Buttonville Airport and the small local newspapers in the area, along with the David Dunlop Observatory that was affiliated with the uh, Toronto uh, University of Toronto at the time, had all reported seeing and following these sort of six different objects um, that were in the area. And to that day, to this day, it's always been you know. Form of the allegory in my family, something that for me uh, and, and other experiences with my grandfather talking about this, these strange lights that he's seen, you know, landing in a field at night while he was combining and then, you know, staying there. And by the time he got close enough over the hill, this thing had sort of taken off. Um, another incident that I had with my sister-in-law coming home after feeding cattle one day and we had drove in the driveway and there was a very large red orb with a center of it that was sort of white. I, it, I don't believe it was plasma or it was, you know, something that was sort of electrical ball lightning because it was very stable. It had a very perfect profile to it roundness, but it was yet red in this white sort of interior that almost sort of swirled like my mom's description of those same kind of lights. it would would jitter move move really quickly eastwards then move upwards on an angle come down slightly and really slowly start moving west we watched now that's the thing about this is that I'm so fascinated with the topic, and and I don't, you know, I think it's ignorant. Like the statement always says, you know, we're not alone in the universe or the dimensional universe of things that are around us. So uh, I'm always looking, but at the same time, as fascinated as I was when I got to the edge of the tree line to observe it, I was still terrified enough to hold my ground to to say I, I, I don't know what this I don't want to turn into Travis Walton. I uh, you know, I, I I can observe it from this distance, but I was afraid enough, and so was my sister in law that she didn't want to get out of the car, you know, but at the same time fascinated by the whole experience. It's almost like when I had my black bear experience, you know, you're part of the food chain all of a sudden and you are exhilarated by the moment, but a terrified at the same time because you know, you're afraid. So that's kind of where my, you know, and I'm always looking to the sky and I'm always talking to people about the phenomenon and I'm very interested I've been following it since I was a kid. So um, now, okay.
1: oh, now as someone who's never, I've never had such an experience experience but you tell us what it's like to be a canadian
2: (laughs) (laughs) well if you were asked me now i'd say it's cold to be a canadian (laughs) some some canadians would say well suck it up because you know that's what it is to be canadian and it's true because the winters that we have are so intense but you know ask me in the spring when i'm getting my garden ready ask me in the summer when i'm planting you know and harvesting food in the fall that for me is all like the beauty of the earth providing it's my garden of eden i always say to people when they're in other places what's it like to be in canada we want to visit in the summer visit in the spring when when everything is coming to life and uh, it's a huge country you know even traveling across it as a musician i start to realize my god we have this mountainscape like you guys in the states and you know uh, here i am in ontario where everything is flat but then we have this eastern seaboard like you do with all these beautiful fishing villages it's an incredible place like even in british columbia in the summer you can ski in the day hang out on a in a chalet in the afternoon and 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 later in the evening you can go swimming it's a it's, it's pretty amazing place. The people here are really nice.
0: Well, that question does lead me to something, because you know a lot of people who have had experiences like yours in, in this country um, will say that they, they feel that the government has tried to hide it or to cover it up with something else. Now, do you ha- did you have a similar experience with the Canadian government? Do you think they also might be trying to hide that things like this are going on?
2: Well, absolutely. And the Minister of Defence and the, uh, the uh, it was the citizens hearing for uh, knowing about this whole, they had a, a preliminary hearing with some ex-senators and staged this whole thing. He's, he's one of the proponents, that, you know, that's talking from the Canadian government, former military saying, yes, you know, these things were occurring. We were getting reports. If you look at the Shag Harbour incident that happened out towards Halifax, I mean, civilians, uh, RCMP officers, uh, numerous people were all witness to this event that happened with this orb that came down into the bay, and you know, military ships came. It looked like another craft had come down to assist it at one point. It all moved down towards Shelburne, uh, further down the coastline. Uh, all those things I think are indicators. the 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 fact of the matter is that you know, they this kind of uh, information ends up in shows where. It seems to be more like, you know, it's fanciful, uh, it's up there with unicorns and, you know, other things that are like that. But the people that are really studying it, and then even up here in Canada, people that are ufologists or are part of societies, they take it quite seriously, you know, and we're starting to realize more and more that it's not just – something that's from an extraterrestrial perspective that it could also be something that's interdimensional i mean scientists know there are thirteen different kinds of dimensions we ourselves are you know privy to about three of those and the reality is that there's so much more going on that's where i think the spirit world mm-hmm. of that is is connected to that on on a certain level
0: so tell us about these thirteen dimensions do you think that possibly these um, creatures or, or, or the builders of these uh, ships maybe come from another dimension or are they definitely from another planet?
2: Well, it could be both. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. And uh, I, what we know as far as our solar system, our galaxy is very limited. And, and our position in it is very small. And the the size and the dimensions and the age of the actual universe itself is so vast and almost incomprehensible that it's hard to that there's other things out there on that level. But on a dimensional level, yes, why not? It can exist. We're trying to do the same thing here by bending time and space in in multiple ways in order to, you know, either achieve that leap or to move from prism to prism as far as dimensions are concerned.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that, that that's that something that we could that you that you could achieve or that we could achieve is is moving between dimensions? Because I now I wasn't filling it with the number of thirteen dimensions.
2: Yeah, there's a thir- they're working on. They're saying there's 13 of them in, in total, and uh, it, 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 here's what's interesting well, if, about this. If this, this, I this, could
1: uh, I provide a bit of explanation to Charles, uh-huh. uh, that the number 13 comes from string theory about ah, okay. uh, 15 years ago. Exactly, they hypothesized that uh, all uh, subatomic particles are actually multidimensional strings, and we're unable to observe. Uh, the further dimensions, because they are compactified in such a way that we can really only move in
2: four.
0: All right. Exactly. So you think perhaps we can travel to these thirteen dimensions if we
2: advance ourselves? Well, we maybe uh-huh. I you know uh, who knows uh-huh. at some point you know and that's what's the compacted you're talking John about that once somebody said to me here it's like this if if there's an ant and it's crawling on a hydro wire. It's perception of that wire is this dark, huge thing. It's Mm -hmm. moving Uh, the the grass and everything below. It might be blurry. It's feeling the wind and the pressure of the wire moving and it can't see us looking at it. Neither can we see it. Our dimension to it is completely different in terms of reality. They may get affected by each other from time to time. We step on an anthill. We're having a picnic. They walk away with our sandwiches. But at the same time, they're not always intermingling. And I think that's what sometimes even cryptozoological stuff is about, where there's certain areas where they think, okay, well, hmm. Uh, there, there's sightings of these things. They're not there all the time, but they seem to be coming in and out of the ether like a an electrical wave frequency, you know, and it's heightened. And, and that's also where I think the idea of mediums and people that are sort of physical mediums that are attached to those other things tie into that. They're, they're, the brain and the way that the brain works, the pineal gland itself, perception of that individual when they're trying to uh, listen in a completely different way to that kind of information. It's all there, but some of us are attuned to it. Some of us are ready for those experiences. Maybe that's why we have and some of us will never have them, nor do we want to pay attention to them.
1: Now, when I see something that I don't know what it is, uh, be it something in the woods off-moving and I don't know what it is or a light in the sky and I can't identify it, I'm, I tend to be very conservative and I say, oh, well, I saw something, I have that memory, but I don't know and I'm not going to make assumptions. What pushes you towards saying, you know, what I saw is aliens or... Well,
2: well that's okay. just it. The, that healthy sense of skepticism is the most important thing you can have in doing any of this kind of research. <clears throat> There's a lot of people that have made a lot of extraordinary claims that it's very hard to back up. But when you're talking about military people who have had 25 years of service that have come out, they've been working with, uh, you know, missile silos, uh, Minuteman missiles, nuclear systems, where these things have come down, shut down missile systems completely. They don't know what to do about it. They're all reputable people. It's not, you know, Jim, Joe with you know out of the bush that just you know I guess what I saw today it's it's somebody that has actually had a high position they be police officials firemen um, anybody that you can think of that makes you then start checking The validity of that situation in particular as opposed to the claims that seem to be way too far-fetched and from for myself my own personal experience because I've, i've i'm part of that family experience and i tend to believe my older brothers and sisters, my parents, my grandparents, the people that were there to also experience it as something that we, you know, with that sense of healthy skepticism, still are, are, are unsure of what it is. But to us, when you start doing the quote-unquote math, it seems to be this is uh, worldly. It's got to be something interdimensional or extraterrestrial. We didn't see people. The craft never landed. We didn't have communication. But the whole experience had changed our entire lives.
0: So what do you think that... It's best for us to do as a result of, of kind of gathering this knowledge, because it seems like, as you mentioned, if the governments of, of, of the world are trying to hide it from us, what should we do in, in, in response to that?
2: Well, I, you know, it, I think it's not something that's new. It's been happening all through the ages. It's biblical. Uh, the Book of Enoch that is, talks about these uh, occurrences. Uh, there's the Book of Ezekiel that talks about this. It's uh, there's Egyptians references to these things. Mayan it's it's something that I think has been happening all through the ages. And what's important for people to realize is like the ocean and the world itself, it's always intermingling. We as a species, as a, as a, as a race of people, we go out, we capture animals, we tag them, we follow them, we observe them. We are now in the process of genetically manipulating them uh, in order to serve our own purposes or in some cases just to see what happens. I think that if you understand anything about physics or fractals or the idea that symmetry exists everywhere, you can't help but not think, well, this is happening. The the, the reality that, you know, the, the illusion <laughs> that it's not happening, and governments don't want to talk about it and it ends up in a fanciful show, that's where it becomes harder for us as people to get out of it and understand what its true purpose is.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what do you suspect the uh, reason that they're trying to make contact with us? Do you think they're people or do you think that they, they might be interested in invading
2: just like humans, like both. we both have ulterior motives, some of us uh, maniacal, some have pure intentions. And, uh, you know, the universe is a big place from, from what I understand. It, it goes both ways, you know, and, and even in a sense of like godlike behavior where, you know, it, 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 there's a wonderful book that was put out a while ago. It was called Cargo Cults. And and, and the Polynesian cultures that were invaded by American naval people in the Second World War, they all set up these bases on these islands with primitive peoples. And when they left, the people started making bamboo aircraft and trying to like mimic stuff that the military had brought to islands that they would bring them back because obviously all of this stuff was like magic to them. You know, radio technology, planes that flew in the sky, and the idea that this concept is always going on. We're always being intermingled, We're interpooling concepts, ideas, be cosmically or on a worldwide international level. And it, 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 it's gotten that way even for us now just with the advent of the age of technology that we live in. Uh, it, anything can happen anywhere at any moment in time. You can have any bit of information. The pool is rippling in multiple ways, and I think that's that's the same thing with this it's you're we're continually being bombarded by things that we may not know of things that are maybe in cahoots with maybe there's things that we don't know about that are already going on and at the same time i think there are other people that are having experiences that are you know like one offs or or they're being followed their entire lives their whole generation say this has been happening to my kids it happened to me it's been happening to my father it happened to my grandfather um it's, it's a scary thing to a lot of people. That's why they don't want to discuss it.
0: So bearing this history in mind, is it possible that God is an alien?
2: Who knows? We don't know. I think that's the mm-hmm. whole <laughs> concept of belief and the, the idea that, you know, God-like things or what we worship or what they represent. I mean, I think that's what the idea of epiphany is. Like, uh, whether, you know, as a writer and somebody that's an artisan, I'm trying to, like, look at what we're all thinking about. That's what's really interesting about mass media today um, and and media culture on the Internet, uh, blogging, people using. You could see this sort of, like, electrical form of things that people are into. And I tend to gravitate to how, how people think about stuff. And that is what seems to have been now become the collective consciousness. Things Uh, Writers of yesteryear were were seeing it in other things by situations that may have happened, whether it had been Shakespeare or uh, Mozart or other people that were writing librettos for certain things that were descriptive, that were telling stories about certain moments in time, sociological things. So I I, I think that's also what that is for me and what it is for a lot of people is that 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 is godlike to me. We collectively are also told every day we are separate. We're shown the differences. We know the differences are there. But the reality is, is that we're all really the same. We really want the same things. But yet we can argue and, and, and have disagreement about it continually and be pitted against one another. So to me, you know, we can either be our own devil or we can be our own God. And I think that's what all archetypes of yesteryear were saying. I mean, <laughs> the Jesus trip is a pretty cool thing. So was Siddhartha Gautama transformed to Buddha. Um, uh, it, uh, any archetype. We could even look at John Lennon for crying out loud as somebody in some senses of that, that, that had that kind of impact that could make people think differently about stuff and in a positive way. That, to me, is godlike.
1: No, when... This is another 90-degree, 180-degree uh, question.
2: <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> about music. Uh, and many people in, I speak to in the arts have uh, see art as a mode of self-expression and are trying to say something to the world about themselves with their art. Uh, and your art being music... Perhaps you could articulate to us verbally what you think you're trying to say about yourself um, in your music.
2: Well, that's, you know, we all are human and we all come from different places, but we all go through similar struggles. Um, and the, the whether they be struggles or elation moments in our lives, things of positivity, humor, sarcasm, all of those things are innate in the human condition. So um, my writing and my music is trying to be reflective of that. I've, I've never, as a, a writer, been concerned uh, or as an artist with the I have to be famous. This, this thing today in, in, in mainstream music where it's like, well, they're famous, they're famous. I, I, to me, it has to do more with like, what are you saying? How are you saying it? Um, how are you using your, your mind and your body with your instrument? As it, simplistic as it can be and as complex as it can be. So I'm trying to also look for that sense of earnestness in, in my writing, and even when I perform, I, uh, the, I, and I think every good artist out there is doing that. Even if they're committing 32 pages of music in a concerto uh, for, for a piece, a symphony piece, they may not have written those notes, but the work, the time, the energy that, that goes into that, it makes it part of them, and they're part of it at that moment. They've now brought that composition, the composer's ideas, to life again and and that's also a big part of it i, I a big part of me thinks that there's so much ego driven music today on how people look and what they just did and and all these kind of things that are ridiculous but uh, I, I i at the end of the day it doesn't really matter and none of that stuff really floats very long mm-hmm. you know
1: now you certainly I, 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 I think one of the theses of this podcast is earnestness as well mm, so is it yes. when you say that's true charles
2: yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Um, and I now I had a question, and we're we're getting a little bit close to the end, but I maybe just uh, to get your view on on this, um, and, and I'll share an experience of this summer, one thing that happened to me uh, was that I I actually heard a noise coming from the sky. It was a very sort of loud banging noise, and um, it was out towards you know, in this town. We have a baseball stadium. It was out towards the baseball stadium up in the sky, and you could see these multicolored lights. Um, and of course, I don't know.
1: Well, wait, um, wait. Can I can I stop you for a moment? Yeah. Was it was it toward the end of the baseball game?
0: You know, I wasn't at the stadium. Oh, well, it probably was. It was around, a minor league team. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, having been to a couple of minor league games, sometimes they fire off fireworks at the end of the games.
0: It, well, it could have been. It could have been that, or it could have been aliens, or we don't. don't mean, we don't know what it was. But um, let's say something like that happens again. Would you say that it's a good idea to try to go there and make contact with whatever it is? Or to try to avoid it because you know there could be it could be invaders or it could be someone peaceful we don't know is it is it good to try to
2: engage with that? Well, I think it's important to keep uh, uh, you know your eye on it and to look at it and to pay attention to it. But like you know, to, to gauge something as as magnificent or as incredible is something that you can't explain. That in itself, I think it should be yeah. what turns your inquisition on. It's like, well, I, I've gotten in the car a couple of times going, what was that? And just driven down the road because I've wanted to know. But I've done the exact same thing when I've seen 16 fire engines go down the road because I'm concerned and I have neighbors and I'm worried. Right. So all of those same things always draw me. But that's healthy. It's good to have that. Uh, I need. I want to look at it. I want to know what it is, you know.
1: Oh yeah. No, if I'm sorry. I think we're since we're getting to the end. If someone wants to hear your music or buy a T-shirt or whatever, how would they go about uh, finding you?
2: You can come to my website anytime. That's edroman.net. You can also get my app, which is the Ed Roman app for free. If you go to iTunes, click in the search window. It has pretty much everything and all my social links. It has music on there that you can listen to for free, photos, videos, all my shows, everything that I'm doing over the next, like, six months. I'm always updating it, and there's always new stuff on there. It's easy. It's totally free, good for your iPhone, Android device. Um, And, you know, check me out on Facebook. Facebook, um, Ed Roman Music on Twitter. Um, It's all good. Come by anytime. I love to chat. I'm always open to talk to, to fans and people. Great. And I can see your website again. That's E-D-R-O-M-A-N dot N-E-T. You got it. Roman.net. You got and it. And
0: we got your whole list of appearances coming up. It looks like you got a pretty full schedule. So that's a good thing for yeah, you. It
2: is a good thing. And I'm just excited to be working. And I'm happy that Michael contacted you guys. And it's been a pleasure being on your show. You guys got some interesting conversation. I like it.
0: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure having you. I want to thank you very much for coming on the program with us. Hey, John
2: and Charles, thank you so much. A pleasure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. This is the most important people in the world. Uh, We're on every time you listen to us. And uh, if you would like to send us an email, if you think you might be an interesting guest, if you have an interesting idea, if you have suggestions or complaints. Or if you're just
1: lonely and want to talk.
0: Yeah, that's true, too. We might put you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Most important people in the world at gmail.com is the email address.
1: All right. Uh, so I've been Charles Berman. I, I am occasionally and mo- most of the time Jonathan Berman.
0: We've been talking with Ed Roman. Thank you for listening, everybody. Tune in again if you want to hear the show.
1: Oh, and it's visualize sending us money. Yes.
0: Keep visualizing sending us money. You've been listening to the most important people in the world. With feedback or guest ideas contact us at most in the world at gmail.com.